Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and this hour we're going to look at words. We're going to look at the way that words are used in the culture. We're going to look at the way that so many people think in terms of communication, and yet, you know, it's, it's so interesting to me. Where do you start with words, right? I mean, when you get right down to communication, the basics of communication, the first thing you do is you teach young children in their infant and toddler years what the ABCs are, what their alphabet is. And then they hear you speaking words, of course, from the time they're born, actually before they're in the born. As a matter of fact, if you go to a preborn clinic and you see that ultrasound, you have to know that the baby in the womb, whether he or she be 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 weeks along, 11 weeks along, not only is forming into that perfect little human being that's in there, and I only say perfect because they're as perfect as they can be, knowing that they haven't been yet corrupted by sin, even though mom, you know, lives in a sinful, fallen world and body and that type of stuff. But mom can be redeemed by the grace through faith of Jesus Christ. But that child's hearing sounds of voices. They're experiencing touches. They're, they're getting their taste together and, you know, sucking things in the hands, the fingers, all that stuff. Words are a big deal. Um, it's been interesting to me to see the progression in the way the grandkids in the Marsh household are being raised. And I, I, I leave, Riley, bless her heart, Kevin's daughter, uh, Riley, lives in Michigan with her mom. And she's 12? Yeah, she's a sixth grader. And she's 12. She's as tall as her mom, right? I mean, all the pictures now, they look eye to eye. It's, it's really cute. Um, Riley doesn't, for our purposes, she went through the same human experience, obviously, at birth that that the rest of the grandkids did, but the rest of her cousins do. But the, the reality is, until um, I showed up, you know, my frame of reference is grandson Isaac, who's five and a half, uh, lives in just outside of Houston, granddaughter Zipporah, uh, turning two next, oh boy, we got to do some shopping. Um, <laughs> you got a second birthday coming up on the 8th. And then her little brother, Nazareth, who was born October 24th. But man, I mean, for four months old, that kid's crawling around or scooting backwards and rolling over and mimicking everybody's talking. And, you know, that's kind of the case, right? The first child gets held with really kid gloves. Then the second kid is kind of scrambling everywhere. The third kid, you know, they're eating dirt and no one cares as long as they come home for dinner, right? I mean, <laughs> let's let's face it, by the time we get to three and four and five kids, mom and dad have got this down and they've got the older kids helping raising out. But the words that we use to communicate are essential and they're not. I mean, it is fascinating when you think about the written word, the printed word. If you were to go into an indigenous area where people had never had a written word and they only understood the spoken language and maybe pictures that they drew on the walls or wherever they did, and some quote-unquote civilized missionaries came into their area of expertise, then the first thing the missionaries would have to do is live with them, learn how they speak the language, learn how they communicate, and then try to find a way to write it down. So they could then say, okay, this is what you speak, and this is what's common to you. Let me teach you the language that you're already speaking, and it sounds familiar to you. Now let me teach you my language, and I can teach you between the two languages God's word, or we'll just teach you God's word in your language, whatever it's, uh, whatever's uh, most expedient and, uh, and beneficial for the people that you're teaching. We take language for granted, don't we? You know, the words that we speak have uh, meaning, and yet, 
we also realize too that the words that we speak that have meaning have meaning that we're assigned to them by people. That's what makes God's description of his son Jesus Christ as the living word of God so interesting to me. The fact that maybe the words that we speak to each other don't have as much value as the word that is spoken to us on uh, salvation, on sin, on sanctification, just to name a few things. And you begin to see why the sociologists say, hey, look, we understand that written, verbal, spoken, printed out language is essential for communication, at least having some kind of basis of understanding. However, when it comes to what you're actually trying to communicate to people, something like 7% of what you communicate to someone is in the words you say or write to someone. The other 93% is nonverbal. It's how you say it. And it's amazing to me in the public eye how the progressive, secularized, totalitarian left has completely attempted to co-opt the English language as a way of redefining culture. Take, for example, the fact that when you and I were in school, there was a point around sixth or seventh grade, maybe eighth grade in middle school, when you had the so-called life sciences conversation about where babies come from. What happens to a boy's body when he goes into puberty? What happens to a girl's body? And there you go. And then you get into human reproduction and stuff when you're in high school and college, but it was very scientific. Now, what did we call it when we were kids? We called it sex ed, right? Sure. I mean, a bunch of crazy, you know, hormone-charged middle schoolers. Sex ed. Somewhere along the road, as totalitarian leftists took over public education, that became the standard. Well, this is what we're teaching in sex ed. And it came from, uh, moved away from a purely your body's developing and changing into human reproduction to this is how you have sex. And this is how you can change your gender. And this is, and it sounds nuts, I realize, but I didn't realize until probably a couple of years ago how bad it had gotten in the public school system. The number of parents that are showing up at school board meetings and pulling out books that have been, uh, I want to say prescribed, uh, (laughs) that are part of the curriculum. Or in many cases, they're available online and they're additional supplemental reading. You don't have to read it, but we recommend it, reading. And you begin to realize this is smut. It's pornography. It's just, it, it, it's verbal. It's visual. It's uh, Here's an example. A Florida school district, Broward County, Florida, uh, they were exposed by a TikTok, uh, excuse me, a, a popular site on Twitter called the Libs of TikTok. It's a gal who's a conservative woman, and she thought that by calling her account Libs of TikTok, she would she could fly under the radar, and for the most part, she has. In Broward County Schools, middle school, Florida school district has revealed that they would now remove a sexually charged novel from a school library catalog and also review other books in the library system after facing scrutiny over the sexual content. The uh, Libs of TikTok account on Twitter uh, focused a tweet that showed a graphic novel called Flamer that was part of the middle school library catalog at Falcon Cove Middle School in Broward County, Florida. The Libs of TikTok tweet says graphic in all caps. 
Middle School at Broward Schools offers the pornographic book Flamer to students. The book discusses masturbation, watching pornography, and literally has graphic depictions of sexual acts. This is what they were given to 12-year-olds. Now, I think we can put this picture up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's from foxnews.com. We'll put the article up. Um, if you do go look at it, please make sure it's adults only. They put a couple of half screenshots of some of the pictures that are in there that, I mean, when I was in middle school, when I was in high school, if we heard someone had seen like a Victoria's Secret catalog or something like that, ooh, ooh wow, look at that. I can't imagine what my grandsons are going to face in this life with how decrepit and vile these books have become. And yet the thing that makes it even worse, uh, Flamer, by the way, apparently is championed by the LGBTQ community um, for the fact that it, I, I can't even tell you what's, okay. The characters in the book discuss pornography. They discuss the size of male genitalia and actually comes with drawings, illustrations, not pictures themselves, but drawings of naked teenage boys. Fox News Digital reached out to Broward County Public Schools for a comment. And once they did, they found out that the district said they would, in fact, remove the ebook from the library catalog. And they would make sure that their system would be uh, amended so that other ebooks comply with state laws quote, out of abundance of caution. We appreciate this being brought to the district's attention. The ebook in question is in the process of being removed from the school's catalog and will no longer be accessible to students. Why was it there in the first place? And how long does it take to click delete? Out of abundance of caution. Okay, here's what happened. Out of abundance of caution. Remember last year the don't say gay bill, Governor DeSantis signed? the parental rights and education law. It prohibits teachers from giving classroom instruction on sexual orientation or gender identity in kindergarten through third grade. Progressives called it don't say gay, but it didn't do anything for fourth, fifth, sixth, or these kids here, seventh and eighth grade. And it's only when parents have gone to the school district meetings and have started reading the books out loud to the school boards that all of a sudden the parents wind up getting arrested. Well, you know, there's a bunch of kids here and uh, you can't read that stuff in front of the kids. You can't read it in front of the kids? Are you listening to what you're saying? What you're saying is this pornography is fine for us to promote as long as parents don't find out about it and the kids can read it on their mobile device. But the minute the parents find out and bring it to the attention of the school board, what words do they use instead of saying, gosh, you're right, this is terrible. I mean, for the love of God, if this were a church school, people would be in jail. How many Roman Catholic priests do you have to put in jail before the public school system says, hmm, maybe that's a problem? Maybe it's a problem? (laughs) And yet... The same crowd that says 12-year-old girls and boys should be looking at pictures of naked boys in the shower, talking about masturbation and pornography and measuring and comparing penis sizes are the same people who are saying, but you know what, though? 
I mean, it's important for kids to explore their sexuality, especially if they're gender... F oh, shut up! This is child abuse first and foremost, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. And shame on every member of these school boards in Broward County for putting this smut out there and endangering our children and then coming back and saying, oh, well, gosh, out of an abundance of caution. Out of an abundance of caution. Because you got caught. Because you're pushing child pornography in public schools. Okay. Frustrating. But I told you this is Good News Friday, right? The good news is these creeps, these perverts, are getting called out on this. We'll put the article up at thebottomlineshow.com. Words, images, depictions matter. As a matter of fact, the words that are shaping our culture right now are a far cry from the great legendary quotes from people in the faith and outside the faith who did their level best to try to motivate and inspire people. Speaking of a motivating and inspiring person, on the other side of this break, Jim Stovall is going to join me once again. It's been a while since we've had Jim on the program. He is a legendary, uh, well, he's an author, an athlete, investment broker, an entrepreneur, and of late has been losing his sight. He's the co-founder and president of the Emmy Award-winning Narrative Television Network. You realize you've seen him in The Ultimate Gift, or you've seen his works come to the big screen in The Ultimate Gift, The Ultimate Life, Ultimate Legacy. He has a brand new book out called Words That Shaped Our World, Legendary Voices of History, Quotes That Changed How We Think, What We Do, and Who We Are. I'm going to take a sip of cold water here and come back and have a good conversation with Jim Stovall about words on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Today on The Bottom Line, we're going to take a look at something that is, I think it's important in our culture. The, the sociologists and scientists tell us that when it comes to communication, our words are not nearly as important as our tone of voice, our action, this, that, and the other thing. And yet we would be remiss if we did not acknowledge the fact that words really do uh, shape conversation, they shape public policy, uh, they shape politics, and they even shape our, our stories of faith and religion. Jim Stovall is an author who is also a former Olympic weightlifting champion uh, who has written a book, he's co-authored a new book, uh, that takes a look at the impact that words and phrases and all those euphemisms that we use in the culture all day long uh, have had on our society. Uh, the book is simply called Words That Shaped Our World. Legendary Voices of History, Quotes That Changed How We Think, What We Do, and Who We Are. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Jim Stovall, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. It is great to be with you. Thank you. Well, I appreciate you taking this on because what I think the, the, the stat is like 7% of effective communication is words and the rest is all body language, you know, actions, tones, you know, that, that type of thing. And yet, how many times do you find yourself during the course of the day? I know I find myself at least two or three times Quoting some legendary person and remind and being reminded of the wisdom that's in there. This it sounds like it was a real labor of love for you as well. Yeah, it was. I mean, I've written fifty some odd books, and uh, I've had uh, nine of them now turned into movies. And you know, and I look at all those words. I've written a syndicated column for over twenty years, so over a million words have gone into those columns. Wow. And mm -hmm. you know, and I think about all that and all those words and everything. And how come? With all those words, there are still certain words and phrases that stay with us forever. And, mm -hmm. you know, and there are phrases in movies that, uh, you know, I can start a phrase, whether it's uh, 
Clint Eastwood saying, go ahead and make my day, or, or uh, Dorothy saying, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore, or whatever <laughs> yeah. it is. Uh-huh. And, you know, you, you may not have heard those words in decades, but because they came to you in a certain way, they stay with you. I, um, you, know, the, you know, words as weak as they are and as inaccurate as they are, they're all that we have to connect us, the way we say and what we say. And, and then one of the quotes I love in there is from my favorite American author, Louis L'Amour, who said, no one can be judged except against the backdrop of the time and place in which they lived. And so mm. I thought about all these great sayings, but what's more importantly, who said it, why did they say it, who, was, who were they talking to, and then what, if anything, does it mean to us today? Boy, that's interesting. Jim Stovall, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. We're talking about his brand new book called Words That Shaped Our World, Legendary Voices, History, Quotes That Changed How We Think, What We Do, and Who We Are. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I'll I'll pull a couple of these. I mean, that you mentioned the Louis L'Amour clip, and I was furiously scrolling through uh, when I first got a copy of the book to look for some of the euphemisms that I like to use, like half of the dialogue of A League of Their Own or, you know, some of these other movies that were contemporaries and were quoted often in our home. But, uh, you know, when you think about someone like Mark Twain, for example, you know, I, I use this probably three times a year in the pulpit, let alone just on the broadcast. Don't let schooling interfere with your education. Um, help us understand what a guy like Mark Twain, who found success later in life, um, you know, had that kind of ironic wit and that way of kind of piercing through the the soul of who we really are and kind of was able to, in one brief sentence, what, eight words or so, kind of pinpoint a big problem for a lot of people. And that is, we don't really know what wisdom is. We don't really know what education is because we're kind of all hung up on data and information at this point. Yeah, we live in a world here in the 21st century. We are the best informed and maybe the least wise people that have ever inhabited the planet. I, mm. You know, we have more information and we get less from it because we have to spend so much time sifting through it and say, saying what is really true and whether or not it's relevant. Twain had the ability to make us laugh and make us think at the same time. We're doing a uh, a movie now based on my uh, novel, Will to Win, that features Will Rogers. And he had mm. that ability to make us laugh at ourselves, ridicule one another, but disagree without being disagreeable. And Twain had one of those things, we can remember something if it makes us laugh or it makes us cry. It's a matter of, you know, looking at those kind of things and saying what really matters to us. Mm. You have a quote in here, this book, uh, Words That Shaped Our World from Mother Teresa, uh, when you say we think sometimes that poverty is only being hungry, naked, and homeless. The poverty of being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for is the greatest poverty. Uh, talk about that. I mean, that 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 really does kind of uh, invoke the words of Jesus in terms of caring for those. Who, when, when you reach out to those in need, you as if you've done it to them, you've done it unto me, but really kind of puts it in the contemporary setting that she lived in. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I think, uh, uh, you know, words without actions, you, you know, when you, if, if someone came right now and said, Jim, your office is on fire, mm-hmm. and I say, okay, thank you, and I just continue to sit here and speak with you, <laughs> right. you know, uh, we, we wonder, okay, did the words really matter? And Mother Teresa had a way of, um, of saying things that you had to just listen to. I, she said, I was fortunate enough to be recognized as the International Humanitarian of the Year. And the only thing that that was powerful about that was I followed her. I was the year after her. Mm-hmm. So it was this amazing international wow. thing out in Hawaii. And she 
she said something to me, and, you know, we had just had a press conference, and she was talking about loving the unlovable, the unlovely. And, and I said, how do you do that? And she said, Jim, unless we love everyone unconditionally, we don't really love anyone at all. Mm. And, you know, and that's one of those statements you hear, and you think that cannot be true. And then you realize that has to be true. My yeah. faith, my belief, my essence, you know, because if there's any conditions at all to my love, then it's just conditional. And I mean, right. everybody loves their friends, It's uh, but, but we're commanded to love our enemies. Yes, that's a powerful word of advice from Jim Stovall today here on The Bottom Line. The new book is called Words That Shaped Our World, Legendary Voices of History, Quotes That Changed How We Think, What We Do, and Who We Are. We have a link for this book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I had to chuckle, uh, Jim, when I came across the quote from George Bernard Shaw, because one of my favorite ones from him is the difference between the English and Americans is they're people who are separated by a common language. Uh, but you've, you've got a life spent making mistakes is not only more honorable, but more useful than a life spent doing nothing. Talk about why, and this is for our generation to impart to a younger generation. Uh, my kids, my wife and I blended family, we have six kids who are either millennials or Generation Z, and I've never seen a more risk-averse group of people in my life. They're so afraid of doing something wrong, and yet you and I both know that uh, you know God uses the crucible, you know, to, they get oh, the yeah. gauntlet, if you will, to, to strengthen us. And, uh, you know, opportunities come disguised as problems. Mm. And uh, myself as a blind person, I realize that so many of the things that have come into me, it's not because of my blindness, but it's because of what I had to do to overcome it. Right. You know, the scriptures don't tell us that all things are good. It just says all things work together for good. Yes. And, yes. you know, and what Shaw is talking about here is, is, you know, learning from your mistakes and going forward, whether it's Thomas Edison or the Wright brothers or anybody else. We live in a world where we have amazing conveniences and innovations we deal with that are a, that are a breakthrough after a series of abject failures. And that's where we're at. And, you know, but if you're worried about, uh, you know, never making a mistake, you never do anything at all. I, I was sitting on a plane just uh, in the last week with a guy that was a marriage counselor, and I said, what do you say in the pre-counseling? And he said, I asked him to tell me about the good fights they've had. Because if you haven't had a fight or disagreement and, and, and built the muscles to get through that and overcome it, you're not ready to get married. I mean, uh, you know, everybody everybody can get along in the honeymoon phase. It's, right. What happens when there's a problem, a difficulty? Then is when you find out: Are you really compatible? Mm -hmm. and, and to that point, I, it's amazing how as these words and phrases come up, um, I do think of that uh, Tom Hanks line in A League of Their Own where he was kind of chiding one of his players for leaving the league. And he says, look, if this was easy, everybody would do it. The heart is what makes it great. And I, I know that's not necessarily, you know, great poetry or great literature necessarily, but it really resonated with me for what you just said, Jim Stovall, about uh, the fact that we learn more from uh, failure than success. And, and, and we're wise to understand the difference between the two, you know, learning and succeeding. Uh, Jim Stovall is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Fascinating new book. If you like words at all, even if, if you use words at all, you will definitely appreciate the new book he's co-authored with Kathy Johnson. It's called Words That Shaped Our World, Legendary Voices of History, Quotes That Changed How We Think, What We Do, and Who We Are. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We'll have more of these quotes in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. 
You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Jim Stovall is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Good News Friday edition of the program, and we're talking about his brand-new book called Words That Shaped Our World, Legendary Voices of History, Quotes That Changed How We Think, What We Do, and Who We Are. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And the good news is we have a copy of the book to give away right now, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, one copy of Jim Stovall's book called Words That Shaped Our World, Legendary Voices of History, Quotes That Changed How We Think, uh, what we do and who we are. 800-227-5278-800-227-5278-800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. And we're talking quotes from uh, all over the place, uh, for anywhere from Mark Twain to Winston Churchill, John F. Kennedy, uh, the, the you know, legendary people, even Mother Teresa. But the idea that we as Christians used to live in a society where people of integrity spoke words of wisdom that encouraged us, that challenged us. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream, which was extemporaneous on the Washington Mall on August the 28th, uh, 1963. But here we are today as Christians facing a culture where smut, like what we have seen peddled in the state of Florida, and think the Lord Governor DeSantis is stepping up to do something about it, we need to stand up against evil. And we need to stand up using words of truth and justice. So let's talk more about words that shaped our world and words that we can use to shape and reshape our world. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. Stephanie Cover of Coverlaw used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Cover will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash Stephanie Cover. 
She knows the other side. Jim Stovall is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Jim and Kathy Johnson, the co-authors of a brand new book called Words That Shaped Our World, Legendary Voices of History, quotes that changed how we think, what we do, and who we are. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Jim, you mentioned the, in the first segment the number of books that you've written, and uh, several of them have been brought to the big screen. Uh, drop a couple of names for our listeners here. I mean, uh, th- thinking of another quote, what was it that uh, was a Dizzy Dean who once said, bragging ain't bragging if you got the facts to back it up. So go ahead and let let us know, let our listeners know about the film side of what you do. Well, you know, I am convinced that if it was uh, William Shakespeare or Mark Twain or the Apostle Paul, if they were with us today, in addition to writing, they'd be making movies. I yeah. I know the power of having a best-selling book, but it pales in comparison to a movie. If people are familiar with any of my films, probably The Ultimate Gift, James Garner, mm-hmm. Abigail Breslin, Brian Denny, and the ultimate gift is probably one of the best, and then that turned into a trilogy, uh, the ultimate life with Peter Fonda. And then I've been doing a lot of media today because uh, the ultimate legacy featured Raquel Welch, and uh, mm-hmm. we lost yeah. her uh, just yesterday, and so we've been uh, dealing with that. The Lamp with Academy Award winner Louis Gossett Jr., and then I did a Christmas Snow and Think and Grow Rich: The Legacy. Uh, and a lot of different films, and I love that process. And I, and I understand the irony of being a guy, a blind guy. I, I write books I can't read that are turned into movies I can't watch. <laughs> can't I understand the, uh-huh. the irony of that. But but even you know when you look at words that shaped our world, uh, you know you mentioned a league of their own, and there's that famous uh, "There's no crying in baseball," and right. that. That that phrase has become so famous. I parodied that in our next movie, where it's called "Will to Win," about the uh, modern day high school, Will Rogers High School, and this young lady is playing baseball with the boys. They cancel mm. the softball team due to a budget, so she goes out and plays baseball with the boys. And it's based on a true story: a young lady down in Texas named Sarah Hudak that did it. And but and she gets romantically involved she's the pitcher gets romantically involved with the catcher and at one point they're having a mound visit and they actually have their first brief high school little kiss (laughs) on the mound and the umpire comes out and says hey there's no kissing in baseball. There's no kissing in baseball. <laughs> and, it, and it's just a total ripoff of that yeah. line. But the line is so famous that uh, it, it works. Everybody knows that line. Oh, that's great. I love the way you work it and, and, and phrase that in, and we will look forward to seeing that too. Interesting, as you were mentioning the stars, Jim, who have been attracted to your film projects, uh, people, they're iconic. I mean, they need no explanation. They need no you know, uh, qualifying in terms of the names Louis Gossett Jr., James Garner, Rocco Welch. And it must be gratifying to you to know that that caliber of talent is drawn to the work you're doing, not that that you know, codifies it and says, okay, well, good for you, Jim. Now it's official because these people want to work. But the fact that they are drawn to it because they, you know, they, they've got certain requirements of the projects they'll take and won't take and budgets they'll work for and not work for. So I, I, I pat you on the back for uh, writing that kind of work and uh, staying faithful to that calling. I think it's uh, it's highly sure, commendable. When see, yeah. When you see people like that who are willing to attach their name to something you wrote and and Garner was amazing because, uh, you know, he the ultimate gift was his last film. And, mm. you know, he said, I've been doing this for 50 years, and this says what I want to say mm. as I leave the stage. And, oh. and then Raquel, I'll just a brief tribute to her. I had written this part for a 99-year-old woman, and mm. we were going to have Lauren Bacall come and do it. She was uh-huh. 94 oh. at the time. 
and her agent said, I'm sorry, her health just won't permit her to do it. But I have another client that really wants to do this part. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, who's your client? He's Raquel Welch. I said, no, 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 I'm looking for a 99-year-old woman, right. and you're sending me this international sex symbol. And uh, so he said, would you at least talk to her? So I called Raquel Welch, and she said, Jim, I really want to do this. I saw the first movie that Garner did, and you know we were good friends, and I'd love to continue this. And, and, and I said, Raquel, you've probably never heard this your whole life, but I'm not sure you're my type. And, uh, you know, you, you may not be what we're looking for, uh-huh. but I rewrote it, and uh, it's a film called The Ultimate Legacy, and uh, they wrote about it this morning in Variety magazine. And, How nice. You know, and I think of all the things uh, she did, I think, as her family looks back on her work, this had a message that uh, I think she was pretty proud of late in her life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you sharing that story. We could dish uh, for a while here with Jim Stovall, but I also want to remind our bottom line listeners that we're talking about Jim's brand new book called Words That Shaped Our World, Legendary Voices of History, Quotes That Changed How We Think, What We Do, and Who We Are. We have a link for this book up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's interesting uh, that one of the quotes that you have, and so many people I hear in my world of broadcasting for the past 40 years, they'll always pull up a Paul Harvey quote every now and again, because, you know, they Paul Harvey, you know, good day. And then here's the rest of the story. The quote that you have, I'd love for you to expand upon this a little bit. When Paul Harvey once said, in, in times like these, it helps to recall that there have always been times like these. And for the people who are saying, wait, this is unprecedented, you know, pandemics and balloons and inflation and things like that. Paul Harvey brings us some time-honored wisdom that comes, sounds like it comes out of the book of Ecclesiastes. Talk about that. Yeah, and I Harvey was such an iconic figure, and and he was kind enough to endorse a couple of my books, and he just uh, talking to him was such an amazing thing because you felt like you were in a newscast, and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, I asked him where the good day thing came from, and he said when I first began broadcasting, you know I was a I was a high schooler, and the guy said no matter what happens, you have to end when that arrow gets to the twelve, right at the top of the hour, the second hand. Mm-hmm. So when he said, well, I ended with eight seconds to go. And I said, you know, thank you for being with us today, Paul Harvey. And then I have this silence, and I said, good day. And the guy said, I love it. We'll stay with that. And he thought I did it on purpose. But, (laughs) you know, we have a tendency to think what we're going through, no one's gone through it before. It's never happened before. And, and, uh, you know, I I was hearing some political people argue the other day about – you know, this is unprecedented, the dissension and the, the fighting that we have going on in our political system. We've never had anything this bad. And I'm thinking, do, do, do people forget the Civil War? We kind of had a little thing there, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, there's always been things like this. And uh, and just looking back and becoming a student of history makes it uh, so much easier. And when you're going through a crisis in your life, when I lost my sight, I thought there's nothing worse than this. And then I went to a group, and I met a, gr- a bunch of other people that had lost their sight. And I realized, okay, maybe you can get through this. And uh, life changes when you realize we've been here before. We individually and we collectively have been here before. So many great quotes in this brand-new book by Jim Stovall. I would love to go through all 50, but we are coming up uh, in the last couple of minutes of our time together. The book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Words that shaped our world, legendary voices of history, quotes that changed how we think, what we do, and who we are. Um, Jim, I grew up in a home where my parents had two mottos. Uh, they really liked punctuality, and they liked things, you know, getting things done, you know, the 
properly. So measure twice, cut once was one of them. And another one was do it once, do it right. Uh, you've got a John Wooden quote in here that uh, basically kind of uh, it kind of deals with the tyranny of the urgent that a lot of people feel the pressure that they're under. If you don't have time to do it right, when will you have time to do it over? Talk about that. There's a pretty deep biblical significance to a quote like that from Coach yeah. Wooden. Talk about that. Wooden, uh, I met John Wooden when he was 95 years old, and he had called about one of my books and asked me to sign a bunch of books. And uh, my staff knew I was a huge John Wooden fan. I'd never met him. I had never any connection. I had pictures of him in my office, and I was just a huge fan. And a young lady comes running down the hall to my office and says, John Wooden's on the phone. And mm. I said, well, there must be must be 25,000 guys in America named John Wooden. She said, not that want you to sign a book to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I said, no, that, that may be our guy. So I got on the phone, and we began a dialogue that uh, went on almost weekly. And we lost him just oh. before he was 100. And he was a a wisdom machine. And you've mm-hmm. heard it said, you know, he's forgotten more than most people know. That would have been true if John Wooden had ever forgotten anything. Mm. But, uh, you know, his quote is, is so powerful in that, you know, and he had a great quote that went along with it, uh, you know, be quick, but don't hurry. Right. Quickness is, is a mental reaction. Hurrying is, is frantic. Hurry is, is panic. Hurry is, mm-hmm. And then one of our last conversations, I said, if you had to tell people one thing, if you had to leave your players, the, the people that follow you, one thing, he said, Jim, before you do anything, before you greet someone, before you make a phone call, before you talk to this guy on the radio, before you write a letter, before you answer the door, anything you do, no matter how great or insignificant, ask yourself one question. What would I do right now if I were amazing? Not adequate, mm-hmm. not meeting expectations. What would I do if I was amazing? And he said, if you'll get in the habit of doing that, you'll have an amazing moment and an amazing hour and an amazing day, and someday you'll look back and say, I had a pretty amazing life. Mm. Well, this has been a truly amazing conversation, and I hope that uh, our bottom line listening audiences have been blessed as much as the host has. Uh, Jim Stovall, along with Kathy Johnson, have put together a must-read book. It's called Words That Shaped Our World, Legendary Voices of History, Quotes That Changed How We Think, What We Do, and Who We Are, 50 of them in this outstanding book, and I hope there's going to be a volume two, because I'm sure you had a tough time, Jim, you and Kathy, deciding which 50 were going to make the cut. But uh, thank you for putting them in this uh, bound form that we have up at thebottomlineshow.com, and thank you for the great work you've done. Jim Stovall, thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Thank you, and volume two is on the way, so thank you and your listeners, and uh, we will do it again. Well, such a great dialogue and really wonderful to get time with Jim Stovall again. Uh, Many appearances from Jim here on The Bottom Line Show over the years, and this newest one uh, is certainly not going to disappoint. The book is called Words That Shaped Our World, Legendary Voices of History, Quotes That Changed How We Think, What We Do, and Who We Are. We have a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we've got a copy of the book to give away right now, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, we have one copy of this book to give away. I would love to place it in your hands today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Okay, on the other side of this break, earlier in the half hour, and again, I, I got a little hot under the collar. 
I mean, <laughs> these are the days when uh, it, sometimes I do the program from the home studio, sometimes it's KBRT, and sometimes on those home studio days, I'll finish up the show and I'll come out into the kitchen or whatever from my home studio and Lisa will say, wow, babe, you were really getting into it. I could hear you from all the way on the other side of the house. I said, well, you know, I mean, it's, I, I do get, I get frustrated though. As a father, as a grandfather, having a 12-year-old granddaughter and knowing that she's in public school and knowing that these are the kind of yahoos who are putting this kind of nonsense into the minds of children and telling them, yes, it's okay to explore sexually. I, trust me. Trust me. You know this is true. What you need from your science teacher is a conversation about why boys change when they become men and why girls change when they become women and how women begin producing, you know, eggs and guys have the capability to become fathers and you know that just from a purely scientific the science is settled manner but instead now what you're getting is transgenderism and you're getting uh same-sex attractionism and you're getting uh, instruction by people with lots of consonants after their last names who are saying well we know better that there's a viral video going around which i guess is redundant because when a video goes viral that means it's going around of a woman i want to say she's in massachusetts and she's an educator. She's at a public school board meeting, a hearing. And parents have shown up and they're basically saying, hey, stop doing this kind of thing to our kids. And this woman is pounding on the podium and she's barking back at the school board saying, no, 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 no. Don't let the parents have anything to do. I'm paraphrasing here. Well, don't let the parents have any say in what's going on in the way their kids are being raised because I have a master's degree and I'm a school teacher. And I'm a, well, ma'am, I got news for you. And, and again, I didn't catch this woman's name. I just saw the clip and I had to click it off. I didn't want to give her any more publicity. But when it comes to degrees, if it were a matter of college education equating into good parenting, my parents were darn near perfect. Dad has an earned doctorate. Mom has a bachelor's one tick away from a master's degree. Taught collectively, spent 70 years in public education. That, by your definition, makes them the perfect parent. Now, I love my mom and dad. You've heard me talk a lot about them over the past 12 years. We didn't always see eye to eye, and I don't think they were the perfect parents any more than they would think I was the perfect child. But if it were simply a matter of, you know, well, go get a master's degree in parenting and then you can have a kid. Oh, really? No one bothered to ask this woman if she was a parent. I mean, does that mean that we can then say that the only people who are qualified to be teachers are parents? I mean, trust me, first responsibility for the, the raising of your child, first and foremost, the growing up of that kid is mom and dad, full stop. Side order of grandma and grandpa, aunt and uncle, but the primary influences are mom and dad. Statistically, it shows time and time again when it comes to passing on faith from one generation to the next. The most important influences on a child are not the youth pastor, not the youth group, not the Christian rock concert, not the wall climbing experience, not the mission trip, none of that stuff. The most important influence on a child's spiritual growth statistically hasn't changed in 40 years is mom and dad. Full stop. And mom has the upper hand. Sorry, guys. Do the best you can, especially if you're a single dad or if you're a, uh, you know, we have spiritual widows and widowers where mom's a Christian, dad's not, or dad's Christian, mom isn't. And mom is like three times more likely to have a stronger influence on her child's faith if she goes to church and dad doesn't than if dad goes to church and mom doesn't. 
And when it comes to the things that they read and the things that they see and the influences that they are under, kids are very, very impressionable at that age. But when you see kids in the public school in Florida and Virginia and other places being bombarded with sexual images and imagery and using word games like, well, there aren't any actual pictures in that novel. Well, there's some drawings. Well, those are descriptions. Those are depictions. But that's not an actual picture. So therefore, we're not grooming the kids. You show a group of 12-year-old boys two boys engaging in oral sex in a picture in a school locker room and tell me that's not grooming. I'll wait. Well, middle school kids do have the capacity to make grown-up adult decisions. You just have to determine where is the right and appropriate place to share those types of things with them. On the other side of this break, for every leftist that comes after faith-based families for trying to indoctrinate and proselytize for Christianity... You know this massive wave of uh, revival that's springing out all over the country? Guess what? It's actually found its way into some middle schools now. I want to tell you about one of them in Knoxville, Tennessee, that is mimicking basically what happened at Asbury University in Kentucky. That information coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and my thanks again to Jim Stovall, the uh, author of the outstanding new book called Words, Words That Shaped Our World. Uh, when you think of these phrases and you can hear these euphemisms in the back of your mind, uh, words that shaped our world, the legendary voices of history, quotes that changed how we think, what we do, and who we are. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we do have a copy of the book that we're giving away right now. Give Crystal a call at 800-227-5278. There's someone buzzing through right now, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, I mentioned before the break here on this Good News Friday that words are so important, and we saw what happened when those parents used their words and their actions to show up at the Broward County schools and uh, go after that middle school school board that was allowing that just absolute filth of pornography to be available online for 7th and 8th graders, boys and girls alike. It was basically a gay grooming book. I mean, I, I hate to say it. I know there are a lot of people in the LGBTQ community who say it's not all about grooming. When you place naked images of teen boys measuring the size of their stuff and talking about other things like that, you're basically playing right into the fact that more and more girls are getting addicted to pornography and kids are getting involved in more reckless behavior. Things that a lot of these kids prior to in previous generations wouldn't have even thought about. Now it's everywhere. And so if you truly do care about kids, you're going to want to protect them from this kind of stuff. So the question then is, well, gosh, do I even send my kids to school if they're in the middle school age? I mean, my goodness, what in the world is happening with these kids? Well, I just want to give a shout out to the Christian public school teachers who will stand up against this type of filth, number one. Christian public school administrators who do the same thing, number two. But also one of the things that we've seen during the pandemic is the huge influence of Christian schools all across the country. And I was, I was talking with Bill Fury, who's the uh, principal at Covenant Christian School right here in uh, Southern California in Orange. Bill, got to get you back on the show. When the pandemic began, and shortly before the pandemic began, Bill became the principal at Covenant. They had an, an enrollment of about 60 or 70 kids. It was kind of small and struggling and whatever. When I met with Bill a couple weeks ago at a Dennis Wilson event, their enrollment is around 250. 
and they actually have waiting lists for some of the grade levels now. All of the grade levels are full. They're considering additional classes. I mean, it's such an exciting time to see this. But I'm not surprised because we're seeing that the some schools, uh, churches kind of went by the wayside and others are just on fire. What happened at Asbury spread to Baylor, it spread all over to other universities, and now it's even creeping its way into schools like the Grace Christian Academy of Knoxville. This is a K-12 through school that had revival in the middle school chapel, literally in the middle school chapel. Um, according to a Grace Christian Academy spokesperson who gave an, a statement to the Christian Post, they got together, the school has something they call discipleship days. And the whole point of discipleship days is to have the kids, and I'm reading from their website now, enriched by God's word, growing in love for Jesus and putting their faith into action. They have classroom discussion, the activities, um, the, the theme for this year's discipleship days, know him, love him, love them. Last Friday, after they concluded their worship service for the middle school students, a lot of the kids, according to the spokesperson, felt compelled to continue their time of worship. So the leadership said, okay, here's the deal. We're going to go with this. We had a lot of activities planned for the day to finish up Discipleship Day's week, and we've decided that instead we're going to scrap all of those, and any student who wants to get up and lead a song or a prayer, talk about their faith or whatever, can do it. And basically what happened was the kids all stayed. I mean, there's a great picture up at thebottomlineshow.com of literally dozens of kids kneeling in prayer at the altar. The worship team is worshiping. There are teachers there. There are parents there that are leading this prayer service, this outbreak. And it's phenomenal. I mean, just to see how this actually is a spontaneous uh, movement of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's interesting because it, it, it's not uncommon for a revival service to, you know, the traveling revivalists who used to go around and, and lead these types of things. But the thing that, you know, people are asking, well, how do you know this is real? How do you know that this is true revival? On the other side of this break, I want to just break it down very simply as to, I think, how we will know. There are some long-term fruits that obviously you'll know. I mean, if this goes on for, uh, you know, for years and years and starts a whole new movement with Generation Z, then praise God. And Generation Zoom, I think, which is the generation behind them, that's where these middle school kids are. But on the other side of this break, I want to talk about how you could tell that this revival is really taking hold right now. And we'll talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. You know, I just finished a meeting in Africa with a group of guys. And I said to them, here's the deal. They want to know how things are going in the United States. Hey, I'm not going to lie to you. Things are crummy. But I said, what you do every day is you get up every day, gentlemen, and you realize that none of this matters. God is in control. And if you believe that, then it, it's all downhill. And, and I said to them, I said, so as we struggle here with the things that we're planning to do here in Africa, it's exciting to see all the things that you guys want to do and the plans you're making. Just know that God is in charge. And so, and the bad things that are happening in the United States, God is going to work all of them to good, Romans eight twenty eight. That's the only solution is just go back every day to Jesus and ask him, for guidance and what you're supposed to be doing. Amen and amen. Dennis Wilson, Wilson Financial Services, 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. 
Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Good news Friday edition of the program. You've just got a couple minutes left to call in in our giveaway for the book by Jim Stovall, my guest earlier today on the program. Uh, the book called Words That Shaped Our World, Legendary Voices of History, Quotes That Changed How We Think, What We Do, and Who We Are. We have one copy we're giving away, and Crystal's taking your calls right now at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Revival in a middle school? Apparently it has happened. This is Grace Christian Academy of Knoxville, Tennessee, where their discipleship days ended with a chapel service. And some of the students asked if they could stay. They just felt led to stay and pray and keep worshiping. And the school responded by saying, sure, we had other activities lined up for the end of discipleship days. We're going to put all those on hold. Any student who wants to stay and pray could do it. And I'm looking at a picture of several dozen kids in the chapel. But here's the thing about revival. People are wondering, okay, is this the Asbury thing really a new movement or what's going on? Here's the definition I was given by an old-time preacher years ago of what revival really is. And then you decide whether or not what we're seeing at Asbury and Cedarville and other words is a revival. And here's the very simple definition. Revival, this preacher told me, is when people are basically led to the point where they must make a decision about Jesus Christ, who he is, accept him or reject him. And I thought, okay, well, I'm from the Lutheran tradition. We believe in the gift of faith, which enables a person to receive the gift of salvation by the power of the Holy Spirit. It, it, you can't force this. I mean, a lot of people are going to get caught up in the emotion and the music, and it's going to be so wonderful. And and I get that. Some people are going to make those you know decisions, and then they're going to fall away from it. It's like Jesus said: the the seed gets scattered four different ways, and only one of the plantings of those seeds is going to bear the fruit. But they're going to bear the big crops. So there is definitely a long term ramification here. But in the short term, if more and more people are being brought to the cross and asked choose you this day who you will serve. That's how we're going to see if this is a real revival. Not everybody who's touched by this revival is going to repent, but they are going to be confronted with making that decision by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is good news, and that's the bottom line. KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. You've got uh, Discovering the Jewish Jesus with Rabbi Schneider coming up next. For those who remain, a couple of truly remarkable Good News Friday stories yet to consider and to wrap out the rest of this week. We'll do that as the bottom line continues in a moment. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, or welcome back to the Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. Uh, however you are hearing this and consuming uh, this programming today, so glad that you've tuned in. The weekend is here and we have an opportunity of course to uh, to focus on the things that are really important in life and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with anyone who will hear it um, you know it's interesting to to think about what's been going on I mean this weekend I'm sure a lot of people are going to be hitting the movies they're going to be going out to see uh, hopefully go to see Jesus Revolution this is the uh, movie that kind of tells the birth of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and then the Calvary Chapel movement that went all over the country. It also talks about the Jesus movement and how at a time, it basically it, it focuses on two articles that were written for Newsweek. Or was it Time? Um, one of them in 1966 that asked the question, is God dead? And the second one that came out in uh, 1971 that said there's a Jesus revolution going on. And uh, Lisa and I had a chance to see the movie over the weekend. We really enjoyed it. And um, I'm thrilled that we get a chance to talk about it today here during this half hour on the Bottom Line Show because 
I know a lot of people have mixed emotions about that kind of long-haired hippie Jesus music and the long-haired hippies that used to come to the tent at Big Calvary, Costa Mesa. But when you see what was born of that movement, the revival that still continues on today and is getting a new lease on life with the Asbury, etc. movement, you have to ask the question, how did this come together? There were three major players in the Jesus People movement in the 19, late 1960s, early 1970s. And um, they are Pastor Chuck Smith, of course, uh, Greg Laurie, who was his protege, high school student at Newport Harbor High that became uh, one of the best-known evangelists in the world, and a guy called Lonnie Frisbee. And Lonnie's story is interesting because unless you grew up in the vineyard, a lot of people don't know how Lonnie was the one who kind of goaded Pastor Chuck into taking the hippies in. And that's kind of where the, the movie does a masterful job. John Irwin and Brent McCorkle are the two directors. John Irwin and John Gunn wrote the screenplay. And I think they do a masterful job of basically saying, here's Chuck Smith, pastor who was, you know, in the Assemblies of God Church. He had a small church. It wasn't going anywhere. These hippies show up. They're, the hippies are everywhere. And Chuck's kids encourage him to give them an audience. Lonnie shows up and attracts a lot of uh, these uh, hippies that show up at Chuck's church. And the next thing you know, basically the Jesus people movement is born. I don't want to oversimplify it. I'll let Brett McCorkle uh, tell you what happened. We'll take a quick break, break a little earlier than usual for this segment and bring Brent in to talk about the movie, the phenomenon. It was number three at the box office last weekend and hopefully will stay top three, top two this weekend. We've got a look for the trailer up at thebottomlineshow.com. Brent McCorkle, the co-director of Jesus Revolution Movie, coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment, and the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, you know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat, and you think, wow, how can I bless someone else. Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, Good News Friday edition of the program, Roger Marsh here, joined by a man who is kind of the man of the moment right now with regard to one of the biggest box office smashes of the year so far in a great film of faith called Jesus Revolution. Brent McCorkle, co-director of this Jesus Revolution movie. We've got the trailer up at thebottomlineshow.com. Brent, welcome to The Bottom Line Show today. It's so great to be with you, man. Thank you. What's it like to take a look at, I mean, you have, 
The past couple of years for Brent McCorkle have been nothing short of spectacular. I mean, with Jesus Revolution in theaters right now opening at number three at the box office, it's up over $20 million now because the midweek has been so tremendous. Uh, Before that, we're going back to 2018. You're the co-writer, co-editor, and the one who scores the movie I Can Only Imagine. That did okay, you know, $83 million at the box (laughs) office. You're you're on a roll right now. If I were going to do a movie, I want to hire Brent McCorkle if I possibly can. What's it like for you in this position right now to, to know that, hey, I've been working at this for a while and all of a sudden God is saying, ding, 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 these are all going to strike a big nerve with viewers who go to theaters. Oh, man, thank you for, for saying so. Um, filmmaking is crazy. It, 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 it's, uh, it's an analog to surfing. So you get up early, you know, you put your board in the car, you get to the beach, you walk all the way out and hope to catch a wave, right? But it takes a lot of energy and effort just to get out and catch the wave. And then once the wave crashes on the shore, you got to do it all over again to get back out there. And so you're, you're, you're just showing up every day and trying to do your best work. And yeah, to have a couple big hits like this back to back is pretty incredible. And obviously John and Andy are a huge part of that. This is all done with their company and John and Andy directed, uh, the Irwin brothers directed, I can only imagine. And I was there, uh, I was like their wingman on that movie. And, and on this mm-hmm. one, I was really fortunate to actually get to direct with John, uh, mm-hmm. who wrote the script with John Gunn. And so, yeah, man, I, it's, it is cool. Uh, it, it's also very humbling because, to be honest with you, there are people out there in the industry that are way more talented than me that will never see a hit. It's very hard to even get in a, a stream like this where you're seeing uh, people show up at the box office and really support your movies in these in this way. And it's it's very humble, and like, I have a lot of gratitude. And yeah, if if you are around me a lot, I'm I'm kind of the one who is. Um, trying to bust everybody down a few pegs because uh <laughs> you know no human being can take credit for this i mean a million things have to go right like i always say for you to wake up every morning like one billion or so biological processes have to go right that you can't control you know so i kind of feel mm-hmm. like that about filmmaking too but man when one does resonate with an audience it makes you so happy because me and john uh erwin we're the same we, we just we make our movies for an audience, not for ourselves. And so to right. see some people find this movie and get a hold of it and, and love it and take their friends to see it, there's just not a better feeling in this business because you're connecting with the people that maybe you hoped <laughs> would yeah. would like it. And so, mm-hmm. so, yeah, man, it's a great feeling for sure. Brent McCorkle is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Brent is the co-director of the brand new movie called Jesus Revolution, which is in theaters now, had a huge opening weekend. But of course, we know that the second weekend, the follow-up weekend, is also equally important. It's a seamless story. My wife and I had a chance to go see it Sunday afternoon, and we, we really appreciated the fact that, I mean, the, the, the whole Calvary Chapel, Jesus People movement is so big and it's so massive. You know, you, you guys had the, the, the task of saying, how are we going to cut about 90 to 100 minutes of that story and tell it the way they did? You know, we've got Greg Laurie, Lonnie Frisbee, Chuck Smith, and some big cast uh, decisions to make as well. Um, I was I, I want to start with one of my favorite parts of this movie. I was so blown away with Ch- Kelsey Grammer playing Chuck Smith. What was it like working with him? Because I grew up in Southern California, the Cambright Radio Studios are 
five minutes from big Ch Calvary. I mean, we, we, the whole tent and everything that's very germane to our world. So if anybody's going to know, you know, if you got Papa Chuck, right, it would be our crowd. Uh, what was it like working with Kelsey to bring that kind of performance out of him? It was a spiritual experience for everybody, Kelsey included. Uh, I'll tell this story about him really quick. He was on a yeah. spiritual retreat with some good friends of his in the industry. And where they ended up that weekend was, wow, we've just done a lot of stuff to make money. And it had no cultural impact, no spiritual significance. Why don't we make a loose pact to try to say yes to things that we feel like will have spiritual impact and influence mm. going forward? Mm -hmm. So he gets home from that retreat, wakes up the next morning, and the Jesus Revolution script is sitting in his inbox. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, so and this is a true story. So he opens it up, and he reads it, and he immediately calls his agent. He says, I'm in on this. I don't care about the money. We'll make mm -hmm. the schedule work. Just call him and tell him I'm doing it. And mm -hmm. uh, the rest is history, as they say. But um, I love it. The, the thing I think that blew me away about Kelsey was I knew he would be funny. I knew he would have that really strong gravitas that we needed for Chuck, but the spiritual authenticity and the vulnerability mm -hmm. that he put into this role, it was powerful, man. It would stop yep. us on set. There were so many times he would have tears in his eyes. Um, funny story, uh, you know, when you're starting to work with somebody, you're figuring out their vibe, they're figuring out yours, and it's a really intimate uh, process, right, with a director and an actor. But, man, he was, he was doing uh, multiple takes, at that time where he's sitting down with Lonnie and Lonnie is confronting him at, at the dinner table saying, mm -hmm, Hey, yeah. you won't let us in, you know, like uh, we're sheep without a shepherd over here and, you, and your church won't let us in. And Kelsey was just tearing up take after take after take. And I went over quietly to John Irwin. I was like, Hey man, uh, you know, how many more takes are we doing? Cause I just don't want, I don't want him to run out of gas. This is really beautiful. Mm -hmm. I don't want him to run mm -hmm. out of gas. And he heard me and across the room, he's like, Hey man, I got this. I'm not going to run out of gas. We just keep going. And I was like, whoa. I, I was like, whoa. But I realized like how full his tank was, and it yeah. never ran yeah. out, man. Like oh, it never ran it. out. So when you see him it. doing press, he's weeping about this mm -hmm. movie. Like when mm -hmm. he's doing mm -hmm. uh, talk shows and late night and stuff. Like there's tears in his eyes. It was just we just inherited him at just a beautiful time spiritually. And I will say one additional thing about him: he's walked a very deep valley. Um, he's had a really hard life in many aspects and that guy on a day to day carries more peace in his heart than I do. Mm. And mm. man, it was like, um, he was like a beacon or like a buoy, you know, with the light on it. And I found myself gravitating to him in between takes and just spending time with him because I, I need to grow. I need to learn. And he just brought everything you feel about him and how he portrayed Chuck. That's how he's showing up on set every day and Love watch it. some of his press and like how teary he gets. He's just mm -hmm. an amazing human being that wanted to bring love and acceptance and uh, just the compassion and empathy of Christ to this role. And he just did it in such a, an amazing way. Brent McCorkle is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, co-director of the new movie Jesus Revolution, which is in theaters this weekend. It finished number three at the box office um, over its opening weekend, which is pretty remarkable when you consider that you've got the, the Ant-Man movie on 4,400 screens or whatever, and that movie about the bear, you know, on 3,500 or 4,000. You guys were respectable 2,400-ish. Uh, for the opening weekend, I understand you didn't have any drop-off. If anything, you're adding a few more screens this weekend. That's correct. We netted an, a 100-screen ad. So wow. uh, we'll be at, uh, I think, 2,500 or a uh, little bit over. So, yeah, we, mm -hmm. we netted a 100 uh, ad this week. So we're excited about it. 
Yeah, I was looking at some of the numbers this week and, and saw that it had a huge Friday and then it kind of tapered off a little bit Saturday and Sunday. But by midweek of this week, it's starting to pick back up again. Is the word of mouth that, uh, that you're getting uh, strong, positive, or people saying, yeah, I went back and saw it again? Because, And I highly recommend you do. I mean, you're, you're not going to get the whole movie all in one fell swoop. And by the way, spoiler alert, if you're going looking for a Jesus People reunion rock concert, that's not the point of Jesus Revolution. It's the Chuck Smith and Lonnie Frisbee and their partnership, and then Greg Laurie being discipled by them and meeting Kathy and them falling in love. And it's just a, it's a really wonderful story. Um, I, I'll ask a question about the, the, that whole issue with Chuck and Lonnie. We talked about Kelsey Grammer's participation here, and now you've got Jonathan Rumi, who everybody in the whole world knows is playing Jesus in The Chosen, playing a very troubled, flawed, passionate, but you know, a challenged guy named Lonnie Frisbee, who was really a spark plug for getting the Jesus revolution going. Uh, talk about what it's like on the set, having uh, having Jesus on the set that way, knowing that he's got <laughs> he's he's grown in notoriety and popularity. Was was that the case? I mean, had you worked with gotten the things together with Jonathan before The Chosen became such a big hit or how did that come together? Uh, a little bit of both. I mean, Chosen was starting to gain some popularity and some steam and momentum for sure. But we had him, I'd say six months before we rolled. So that would have been over a year and a half ago. And so, mm-hmm. so now, you know, going to season three, it's just a low runaway locomotive, you know, at this point, right, but I don't think right. it was back then. Um, but as far as, you know, Jesus, uh, man, I just had to brag on him because he knew he wanted to do something different. And that guy has range for days and I knew he could do it. And, um, uh, He's more on the method side of acting, which I don't know if your viewers follow that, mm-hmm. but that means they really try to inhabit the role and do as much as they can in a physical way to feel like they're there. So he he wasn't popping in and out of his costumes on set when we helped, you know, we had augmentations on his beard and like he kept that on all day long. He lost 18 pounds. Oh, I went to Lonnie's grave and like prayed at Lonnie's grave mm. for strength and just some guidance. Uh, he stayed in Lonnie's voice all day long. He asked that we call him Lonnie on set. And I did. And uh, mm. I, I defended him. Um, he asked three times that his hair be colored to be close to Lonnie's hair color because he was so adamant about the role. And the most beautiful thing I will say about him is when he talks about Lonnie, he, if you talk to him long enough about him, He'll cry. He loves Lonnie. Mm. He cares about mm-hmm. him very much and defends mm-hmm. him if, if anybody, you know, um, is, you know, talks bad or whatever about him. He just, sure. he just uh, loves this guy, and he was a flawed human being, but I am too, and so is Jonathan. Right. And we really wanted to bring in um, kind of this uh, this idea, and it really was John Irwin's theme in this movie, but that God works through flawed people, and it's a yes. good thing, right? Because all of us count ourselves in that category and i think sometimes there's this legalism or even a moralist view of christianity that demands some sort of external perfectionism and that is just not the way that all of this is supposed to be it's not how we are as humans and it's actually not biblical and so um so yeah i i loved working with jonathan he was so committed to the role i don't know that i've ever i don't know that i've ever worked with an actor so committed to a role and Mm. He just did such a beautiful job with his character, and, and uh, I love I love his portrayal of Lonnie, and I actually love Jonathan. He's a great dude, and he's also, believe it or not, he's also hilarious. 
Yeah, <laughs> that does. It doesn't surprise me. I'm talking with Brent McCorkle today here on The Bottom Line. Brent is the co-director, along with John Irwin, of the brand new movie, Jesus Revolution. It's in theaters now, up to 2,500 plus screens nationwide. I encourage you to go see this movie. We've got the trailer up at thebottomlineshow.com. Got a couple minutes left in our conversation, Brent, and I'd love to, to get your take on the Greg Laurie story. Uh, the, the Joel Courtney and Anna Grace Barlow chemistry was phenomenal. Um, Greg and Kathy, of course, are just so iconic here in Southern California, have been for the 50 years or so of Harvest Church and the Harvest Crusades and things of that nature. But a lot of people aren't familiar with the the story of how Greg Laurie became Greg Laurie. Talk about, uh, the, the I'm sure, the input you got from Greg and Kathy, but also the way you and John and John Gunn, the writer, looked at this process and said, how do we tell these three stories of these three larger-than-life personalities that were intertwined? I thought you guys just did a masterful job of giving everyone, you know, the kind of uh, air, if you will, you know, to uh, to let us explore their characters. Well, first of all, I will brag on John Irwin and John Gunn's script. Um, the first 45 pages of it, I, I like, I went to John, like, this is the greatest, this is the greatest 45 pages you guys have ever written. It was amazing. And uh, so I loved, I loved it. And, and in the first 45 pages, they were also setting up this ensemble and the cadence and the rhythm between all the different stories. And that's very, very difficult to do. And yeah. so I just want to brag on them and, you know, and their screenwriting, um, the other thing that I think was so great that John Irwin and I try to do in everything that we work on is create portals of entry from people from all walks of life. And that's probably mm -hmm. ages, gender, uh, you know, occupation, how you how you enter the world or present in the world. And so what the love story did was it gave us a younger generation ride along right. sidecar, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I think it's very important. So some of that some of the things that make me the happiest when I get a DM or a text or see someone commenting on Facebook or whatever is that, Hey, I'm a Gen Z kid. I took my grandma to see this and we both loved it. You know, so mm -hmm. I think we achieved that objective of, um, and I learned this from my mom. I, I did a movie years back and, and I asked my mom what her favorite character was. And it was the grandma. And my mom is a grandma. <laughs> She's like a mm -hmm. wonderful grandmother to my children. And yeah. I was like, Whoa, that that really threw me back because it wasn't a, a it wasn't a major character it was a side character but she was riding along with the character that was closest to her and mm. in in her identification and how she presents in the world and so so we took that as a bit of a a learning moment right and started creating different ways to get into the story in age groups and and uh, you know people grandmas or moms dads pastors kids teenagers runaways you know different. What are the different ways that we can uh, allow people to attach to this story and move through the right. story with us? And right. so I think this love story is so cool. It's so beautiful. You root for them. I worked so hard on the chemistry. Uh, we chemistry read uh, Joel and Anna Grace, uh, I think, twice uh, before we you know, said yes. I mean, if we had to know the chemistry there, it was there, and it totally was. And, and yes. we worked very hard on it, and they worked so hard on their roles together. and. Just very beautiful what they created on their own and also together as mm -hmm. as, as acting partners. Love it. I love it. Well, this story is it's a very passionate story. Obviously, the faith component is there, and it really is a seamless telling of the birth of the Jesus People movement of the 1970s at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, the partnership and then the dissolution of that partnership between Pastor Chuck Smith and Pastor Lonnie Frisbee. And then here comes this Greg Laurie kid 
coming out of just a rough and tumble upbringing uh, with an alcoholic mother who is kind of a cameo, if you will. She didn't have a lot of scenes, but Kimberly Williams Paisley does a spectacular job of holding down the fort as Charlene Laurie. And then uh, the, the net effect, I mean, the hundreds of people, thousands of people all across the country, weeping, crying, praying, giving their lives to the Lord. It's just, it's a really remarkable experience. The movie Jesus Revolution in theaters still this weekend. This is weekend number two and gunning for the top of the box office. And we encourage you to check out the trailer at thebottomlineshow.com. Brent McCorkle, the co-director of Jesus Revolution, has been my guest for the past 20 minutes or so. And Brent, I know you're a busy guy. So thank you for uh, making some time for us to share about the Jesus Revolution movie here on The Bottom Line Show today. Thanks so much for having me, man. I really enjoyed the questions and talking about the movie with everybody. We had a great time on this one. Well, thank you, Brent, for being with us today here on the program. A nice extended conversation about Jesus' revolution, and that trailer is up at thebottomlineshow.com. I have some final thoughts on the movie and the movement to share with you on the other side of this break as The Bottom Line continues. You know, I just finished a meeting in Africa with a group of guys, and I said to them, here's the deal. They want to know how things are going in the United States. Hey, I'm not going to lie to you. Things are crummy. But I said, what you do every day is you get up every day, gentlemen, and you realize that none of this matters. God is in control. And if you believe that, then it, it's all downhill. And, and I said to them, I said, so as we struggle here with the things that we're planning to do here in Africa, it's exciting to see all the things that you guys want to do and the plans you're making. Just know that God is in charge. And so, and the bad things that are happening in the United States God is going to work all them to good, Romans 8, 28. That's the only solution is just go back every day to Jesus and ask him for guidance on what you're supposed to be doing. Amen and amen. Dennis Wilson, Wilson Financial Services, 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and... Uh, thanks again to Brent McCorkle, uh, one half of the directorial duo of John Irwin and Brent McCorkle that brought the Jesus Revolution movie to the big screen, uh, doing phenomenally well. Now, to put this in perspective, the two movies that came in ahead of it at the box office last week were the Ant-Man movie. It's a Marvel type of thing that was in its second weekend. By the way, Ant-Man had the second largest decline from one weekend to the next of any movie in the history of Marvel. They lost like 69% of their audience from President's Day weekend to last weekend. Second was a movie called, uh, it's a weird title, Cocaine Bear is the name of the movie. It's actually kind of a lighthearted comedy, if you will, based on the exploits, apparently a true story, of a bear that got a hold of some cocaine in a park and kind of went on a weird rampage. It's interesting movie. And then in third place, on almost half the number of screens as uh, the uh, Marvel movie was Jesus Revolution. The story of how Chuck Smith met Lonnie Frisbee, a young hippie itinerant pastor, how they discipled a young man by the name of Greg Laurie, who was searching for God in drugs and rock and roll and stuff like that. And basically it launched the Calvary Chapel movement. Um, I don't know that Chuck Smith's church was called Calvary Chapel before uh, the Jesus Revolution happened, but it certainly was afterwards. And of course, there's like 1,700 Calvary Chapels worldwide that have been implicated and affiliated with this. Uh, Greg Laurie's influence is pretty uh, remarkable as well. And Lonnie Frisbee's is. And Lonnie had a very interesting story. This guy was a hippie. He wasn't a whole lot older than the kids he was kind of leading and influencing. But Lonnie really wrestled with the 
the struggle between his faith and his desire for notoriety. And um, it, it, it proved to be too much for him to be with Pastor Chuck. Chuck basically deputized Greg Laurie, said, I bought this old facility out in Riverside, go pastor that church there when he was like 20 years old. And of course, Harvest Fellowship has been out there for, for that long. Lonnie went to Florida. He and his wife, his wife Connie, eventually divorced. And then he, he got involved in the world again. You know, and he, uh, it, it turned out that Lonnie's testimony was he was one of those guys who party hard on Saturday night and then was there Sunday morning baptizing people. He really had a hard time figuring out how to get one foot out of the, you know, how do you be in the world but not of it? He eventually wound up contracting HIV. Uh, he wound up losing his battle with AIDS in 93, I believe it was. And he and Greg and Pastor Chuck had a chance to reconcile. But, you know, the, the revolution is remarkable because people have been so enamored with revivals and things of that nature. We kind of expect in this instant access culture that we have that if you pray the right prayer, go to the right church, read the right Bible, meet the right people, sing the right song, that all your problems are going to go away and your dreams will all come true. The, the reality is this. We live in a strange world, and I think every generation of people since the beginning of time could say we live in a strange world. Certainly not what God intended after the fall. But the good news of the gospel is this. God so loved the world. He gave the only, his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth as a man, fully God and fully human. But as Steve Gregg was talking about on the narrow path uh, earlier this week, he said fully God and fully man means that Jesus took naps and went to sleep and rested because the fully man part of him got tired. But blessed is the one Brothers and sisters, if you have experienced this, I have. It's truly remarkable. When God gets a hold of your life, gives you the gift of faith with which you can receive the gift of salvation, you meet Jesus in the waters of baptism, you commune with him in the study of his word and in holy communion, It's there's nothing better. And no matter how weird the world gets, that offer, that invitation to go into all the world and preach the gospel proves to be so effective and pays huge dividends both now and for all of eternity. Uh, go see Jesus Revolution this weekend, by the way. That's the good news, and that's the bottom line.